ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's Monday, and you know what that means. Another episode of the whole week wrap with Daily Maverick. Join the Carte Blanche crew as we make sense of all the latest news headlines. In today's episode, Mark Hayward reflects on last week's Human Rights Conference. We unpack Clutimari's brutal killing and look at what this means for brave whistleblowers. And hashtag national shutdown, no bang, only a whimper. Stick around, there's lots to talk about. Welcome to the whole week wrap with Carte Blanche and Daily Maverick. I'm Snigeti Sanze. Joining me is Mark Haywood, editor of Maverick Citizen at Daily Maverick. Very excited to have you, Mark. How are things? Very good, thank you. It's been a long, hard week. It's been an important week because it's Human Rights Week and Human Rights Day. We've survived the week. Thank you. I must say I'm a very unhappy citizen. I've had to endure a couple of days without water. And trying to run a household with no water is very frustrating. But for many communities, this is a daily reality. I was reminded of Haman Skral. Um, uh, this is an area that has had ongoing water problems. And the South African Human Rights Commission intervened and compiled a report basically saying the lack of clean and drinkable water is an ongoing violation of residents' rights. You attended the National Constitution Conference, Mark were issues pertaining to strengthening our democracy, upholding the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were ventilated. What were some of the takeaways for you? Well, it was a very important conference, and I think it's very important that the government convenes a conference to reflect on the state of the Constitution and the state of respect for the Constitution. You know, what was very, very clear was that most of the delegates expressed dismay and unhappiness with constitutional implementation. You know, I was actually a speaker there speaking on socioeconomic rights, the rights to health, the Mm. rights to basic education, including the right to water, uh, by the way. And the, the common refrain is we are not doing what the constitution requires us to do. And as a result, we're not getting to the bottom of inequality. Poverty is growing You know, if I can specifically say on water, last week Mm. was also World Water Day. And I think that this problem of access to clean, safe, potable, drinkable water is a problem that will explode in the years ahead. And it's a problem that could make our complaints about ESCOM look fairly mild. Because as you've said, Sinkatiwe, that without water, it's very difficult to have dignity. It's very difficult to function at all. So an important conference. I just hope that government listened. The president was there. Lots of ministers were there. I hope that it's just not another conference, another tick box, and something that they forget as quickly as they convened it. Yeah, I hope it won't be another talk shop, as it were. Mark, what were some of the takeaways in terms of what the president said, you know, as the head of the country? Well, I think the president was in sort of being 
frank and honest mode about the shortcomings of the government. The constitution, after all, is our supreme law and we must mm. follow it and everybody in government must follow it. And it's clear that we've respected the constitution more in the breach than by actually following it. But, you know, the president, for example, talked about the importance of citizens, of civil society, of oversight, of monitoring, of accountability. I think it's a familiar language from the president. What I feel should be being done is that more should be being done to assist civil society to fulfill the functions that the president assigns to activists and to NGOs. And again, you know, we need a government that takes much, much more seriously key rights such as health and basic education and sanitation and people's access to, to adequate housing. Because I think for most people in this country, especially for poor people, the constitution is judged by the impact that it has on their daily lives. If it has yes. no impact on their daily lives, if it doesn't better their daily lives, then there will be respect for the constitution mm. law. Absolutely. I think for me, what I saw or rather heard was from the president when he said, without the rule of law, South Africa is vulnerable to mayhem. And this statement brings us to our next story, which highlights the breakdown of the rule of yeah. law. The news of the murders of Klute Murray and his son, Thomas Murray, they were gunned down on the NY highway in broad daylight. Suspects are unknown at the moment, but what we do know is that Murray was the liquidator for Bosasa and several of its senior executives were previously implicated in corruption linked to state capture. Murray was also the liquidator on several high-profile businesses. This shooting was a shocker for me, Mark. It's difficult not to speculate that it was a hit. Police investigations will have to reveal who was behind it. But it also sends a very clear message to whistleblowers and people working to root out corruption, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it is a shocker, as you say. It's, it's, it's terrible. You know, broad daylight on the busiest highway in the country, yeah. in the major biggest conurbation of South Africa, so brazen. Well, it clearly was a hit. Mm. I mean, why else would somebody be taken out uh, like that, given the work that they're doing? So it was a hit. And as you say, what it tells us is that citizens generally, but whistleblowers and people who are doing uh, critical work to unravel state capture and unravel corruption are in grave danger. It has a resonance with the murder of Babita Diakoran. That's the uh, first person that came to mind. She came to my mind as well. And yeah. you know, we're coming up to two years since the murder of Babita Diakoran. And although journalists have done a great deal to unearth probable mm. reasons for her murder, there's still nobody been arrested. You know, there's a bunch of people sitting in prison who pulled the trigger, appeared to pull the trigger. But, but the we need to know who's behind it. Who's behind it. So it's frightening. It is frightening. And I think it frightens people who do this type of work that is vital for the future of our society. I think for me, we've lost so much to corruption that is unacceptable, that we cannot sit back and just watch where important figures in important organizations doing important work can be taken out like this. I mean, the thing that scares me in some ways is the lack of outcry about what happened. You know, what we must be careful doesn't happen to us as people of South Africa is that we just begin to think that this is the norm, that this type of thing happens. And, you know, we just lament and move on. It is completely abnormal and unacceptable. And if we don't stop it, 
then it bodes very, very ill for our society and for the rule of law. There was a lot of hype in the lead up to the Economic Freedom Fighters National Shutdown. The Red Berets were calling on the president to resign as the country faces rolling blackouts and a rising cost of living. There was so much anxiety ahead of the march. Police were on high alert. Officials were deployed across parts of Johannesburg. Some companies even instructed their staff members to work from home due to safety concerns. Many South Africans, Mark, will echo the sentiments raised by the EFF. However, it doesn't seem like the Red Berets were able to get a buy-in from other citizens. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's because even though literally tens of millions of our citizens live in desperate conditions and are unemployed and hungry and very vulnerable to crime, the same people would want to see action and are angry about what is happening. But the same people are quite conservative in the sense that they don't want to see something that will just cause more chaos and more disruption and violence and that will impact negatively on their lives. And the problem with the EFF action, similarly the problem with the Nahawu strikes the week before, is that you know groups like the EFF seem to conduct types of protests that hit the poor first. Mm and hit the poor hardest. Mm. And so, you know, if I was an advisor to Julius Malema, I would be saying, okay, you have an important cause here. How can you pursue this cause in a way that captures public imagination, in a way that is peaceful, in a way that is legal, and in a way that ultimately has an impact? You know, it was a big storm in the teapot, and they brought a few tens of thousands of people out, but by Tuesday it was back to normal, and the people who they claimed to represent continue to live in desperate circumstances. Julius Malema, of course, is able to go home to his very big, comfortable mansion in Hyde Park. Yes. Final question, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Mark, and the work that you do and you've previously done, does the consequences of violent protests take away from the work of civil society and peaceful marches? Yes, I think it does uh, in a number of respects. You know, it makes many people afraid to participate in marches, Mm -hmm. to participate in civil society, because it leads to a, a loss of trust quite often. But it also, as we've seen, and this is a real danger, causes the state to turn to more and more potentially repressive uh, security-based measures, which should not be warranted, but cast a shadow, I think, on our democracy. How would you sell South Africa to potential investors? It's a question we pose to Mark, and it turns out we have hope on our side. Let's shift gear for a bit. When President Cyril Ramaphosa came into power, he started investment summits where he tries to woo foreign and local investors. So far, over 1.4 trillion rand has been pledged. The new Minister of Electricity has said load shedding makes it very hard to sell South Africa. Mark, I want to put you on the spot. You have 30 seconds. <laughs> Imagine you're on the podium, investors from around the world with pockets full of foreign currency we need are waiting with bated breath to hear what you have to say. How are you selling South Africa? One of the best countries in the world, one of the most beautiful countries in the world, one of the richest countries in the world in terms of minerals, geography, uh, natural resources, landscape, tourism, a population that is just desperate to work and is unemployed and people who have a big vision 
for the future of our country and the people who have shown tremendous resilience and innovation and imagination in the past. And that imagination can be unleashed again. I have no qualms about selling South Africa. I'm certainly never going to leave this country because despite the blight, I still think it has huge potential with the right leaders and if the people are given freedom to work and express themselves. Mark, I think you've hit the nail on the head for me with a lot of our problems with regards to uh, energy, electricity problems, infrastructure that's broken down. I'd say it's the people. Nothing beats our spirit. There's a lot that can be said about our resilience. There's phenomenal talent in this country. We always find a way to make it work. And, And I just think we're cut above the rest. And I think if if the investors fail to give us money on that count, I say just take them to the Kruger and play Vicky Samson's My African Dream on repeat and and that should do it. No, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, It is the people and our cultures. But I would also say to investors, you know, we have a remarkable constitutional setup. Yeah. There's very few countries with public protectors and human rights commissions the and chapter nine, institutions. Chapter nine yes. institutions and the robust media and a Zondo commission and the constitutional court that is the pride of the world. You know, you shouldn't forget that despite the difficulties and trauma that we are going through and we've gone through over a number of years, we have actually accomplished a lot since 1994. There are two sides to the story and although they seem completely opposite, they can actually live side by side with each other. And that makes it all the more important and critically important, Mark, that the likes of Clute Murray, the likes of Babita, uh, dear Karan, um, and many people in organizations who are fearful of speaking up, who see the wrongdoing, but there aren't measures to protect them in the event that they do speak up. So it's important that we get back to enjoying a strong rule of law yeah. so that those lives are protected, those lives feel emboldened to speak up and root out corruption. Yes, we, we do need to get back to a strong rule of law. But you know, we won't get to strong rule of law in abstract, which is why I continually stress that we have to address the poverty, we have to address the socioeconomic conditions. And that has to be something that investors and business help us to do. Because, you know, we are shocked at that murder on the N1 highway. But uh, there was a recent police report a few weeks ago that showed that there's been a dramatic increase in vigilante violence in many of our communities. You know, because the police are failing at community level, people are taking it upon themselves to kill people who they think are criminals, to beat up people who they think are criminals, often getting the wrong people. You know, we, we mustn't lose sight of the breakdown of law there as well as something that we have to fix. It's fixable, but it depends, as I say, to unleash the full power of this country. You have to unleash this thing that is at the moment being crippled terribly by the poverty that faces so many people. And Mark, to end things off, I think I want to say it's fixable and so the right people and the appropriate officers need to get to the work of fixing it. Totally. And soon. And we can. And we will. And we'll sit here in a few years and we'll say we went through a dark period 
but we came out and we have one of the best countries in the world and we're glad we live here and we will once again assume a position of leadership, a global yeah. position of moral and political leadership in a time of turmoil for the world. Brilliant. Mark, thank you so much for your time. We enjoyed your insights and have a great week further. Thank you very much and lovely to speak to you. Thanks for listening. Catch us again next week for another whole week wrap. Until then, why not join the conversation on Twitter, Facebook and everywhere else? We always love hearing from you.